Oh, welcome everybody to another podcast. Uh, luckily, we're I'm not talking about the coronavirus this time, and this is kind of a transitional, uh, maybe prologue to what you can expect for my new podcast, which will be Veritrium, uh, the only podcast with the element of truth. And in this, I talked to a member of the Body.io community and gave them the opportunity to ask any questions, any problems they were having, and I attempted to solve them or give them a roadmap so that they could solve the problems and maybe some follow-up. So this call is with Bruno, and I'll just let it go from there. Hope everybody enjoys. So this is your hour. Ask away. Uh, and there, no, no limitations. Okay, sounds good. Um, all right. So, oof, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> so basically, I wanted to talk about two different things. Um, okay. The first thing is related to my diet, and we can get in, into detail further on, but I'll start with uh, some of the symptoms. So I started about, uh, I'd say two years ago, during the transition between, I guess it was winter to um, spring. I live in Miami, actually, so it's very humid here. Yeah. But I started in the, in the mornings um, just feeling like crap. Like around 10 in the morning, I would start feeling like very nauseous, and like I wanted to throw up and it would last for about an hour and then it would just simply go away. Um, at, at the beginning, I thought it was maybe just coffee. So I, I gave up coffee, um, but then it just kept coming and, and I started getting like, uh, like really big sinusitis, like migraines. And so I, I checked with doctors they did a whole bunch of scans and tests and everything, and they couldn't find anything. So um, lastly, the last uh, uh, doctor that I saw said it was probably just allergic rhinitis, that my cornips were just getting bigger and bigger due to allergies, and that was putting pressure on my sinuses, and that was causing everything. So they, they did a procedure that was called Clarifix, where basically they, it's like a cryosurgery. They freeze the cornips, they shrink them down, and they um, supposedly that clears your path so that their sinuses are clear, they don't get stuck anymore, and uh, end of story. So that basically just, I don't feel any difference. It just, the only thing that did was, at least I don't get sore throats that often anymore. Um, but other than that, I don't know why, it, and I realize it gets worse if I do any, like, for example, post-workout shakes. I train in the morning, mm -hmm. so if I have any post-workout shakes, I start automatically feeling like crap, and it gets even worse if I add something to the post-workout. Uh, add something like, you cut out for a second, if you add what to the Oh, like caffeine, like caffeine. Like if uh, I add, okay. a, I have some caffeine powder, and if I add mm -hmm. it to the post workout, then I automatically it's like I feel like very nauseous. It's much worse, huh? Yeah. Oh, this is in. So I don't know yeah. if the two things are related, but um, it just and it's random. Like if I don't have any food or anything in the morning, but but coffee, um, it just I, I feel normal, and then around noon i start feeling like oh i need to eat something like i'm starting to get nauseous and I, mm -hmm. after eating then i start feeling great so if you uh, i'm i'm just trying to rehash the full picture here so yeah if you don't work out in the morning it sounds like you then don't eat until noon which is when you feel hungry 
and you're, well, and and in that scenario, you're pretty much okay. Is that is that correct? You don't get the nausea. Yeah, I don't know if 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 it's related to um to the to anything, but um like even if I work out, I cannot have a post. If I have a post workout, I get nauseous. Like when I'm working out, mm-hmm. I have to just not eat anything. I just do the caffeine before the workout, and that's it. So then regardless whether you work out or don't work out, as long as you don't eat until later, yeah. you, don't, you don't have the nausea issues. Correct. I feel okay. Got it. And if you have the morning – in your morning workouts, do you – is it you immediately get up and you go? Or are you having anything before um, then? No, my routine normally is I would wake up around 7 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I have coffee with two tablespoons of uh, heavy whipping cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's normally an espresso, um, a double Nespresso. And then I have a, a sugar-free Red Bull, and, and that's it. And then I go work out at like eight, 8 in the morning, so an hour later. Okay. And then you're having – and then if you have the shake, that's when – is it right after the shake or like yeah right after right after the shake right after the shake and the but the shake that i'm so the shake that i'm doing has i do or the the one that i was doing because i stopped doing it because of the nausea mm-hmm. was um creatine about five grams mm-hmm. leucine about three grams um whey isolate about 30 grams and then a scoop of hydrolyze okay but and never you never used casein like micellar casein or anything no. like that okay no. yeah because sometimes that makes people feel sick well Correct. i would and did you experiment with those shakes I, i'm i'm just trying to eliminate as many variables as possible no at the beginning so i i posted uh that question in the alphas group and someone suggested that I should maybe try um, cutting the caffeine from the post-workout shake. And I did, and that helped for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like two weeks where it didn't feel any nausea at all. And then after two weeks, I, I start, it came back and it, 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 I was not doing caffeine at all. So, uh, so is the nausea accompanied by any sort of maybe light disorientation sweating yeah anything like that yeah 100 percent that ah so so you're basically having to rebound hypoglycemia okay not sure what that is well so uh let me try to set this up as best i can so after you work out you and i assume this is resistance training yeah correct so after your resistance train, your muscles are primed before there's any insulin in your system. They're already primed to soak up sugar. Okay, so when you introduce like whey isolate and hydrolysates especially, and you put leucine on top of that, you get a pretty significant uh, insulin spike. All right. Well, you're also not ingesting carbohydrates. So what happens is you have an insulin spike, which just accelerates the absorption of all of your carbohydrates that are available very rapidly. A lot of that is being disposed in the muscle, which leaves your brain temporarily without enough glucose. So you start to have these hypoglycemic effects, which is headache, nausea, probably start sweating. Uh, it, it's pretty common. Yeah, I feel like I'm about to get sick. Yep, yep. That's uh, that's what's going on, and that's why removing the caffeine made it better temporarily because caffeine makes all the other tissue, including brain and everything, that, that's insulin sensitive, it makes it less able for them to absorb any glucose. So you've shuttled even more of your glucose straight into the muscles, which again is is causing the the hypoglycemia but taking the caffeine away it's it's only going to fix it temporarily as you figured out 
And and how would I how would I counter it? Do I have to add some carbohydrates? Uh, there's a couple things you can do. There's several options on the table. And it, am I too loud? It's showing my my microphone like really spiking. Is it okay? No, I hear you. Oh. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. You so option one, uh, you can start playing with your shake, get rid of the way isolate, or really tune down the way isolate so it's minimal. Don't add the leucine to the post-workout shake. Also, don't add the hydrolysate to the shake. And you can replace with micellar casein. You can try that first. That would be my first suggestion, but it makes some people feel a little nauseous. And then there's um, calcium caseinate which is not as high quality, but it, it's still okay. So you could create a post-workout shake that way and see how that affects you. Okay. And eat, you can even get rid of the whey isolate and use whey concentrate. It has a slower absorption curve and a slightly smaller insulin response. Uh, so that's one option. Another option is, first of all, I think, I think regardless, you shouldn't use hydrolysates. In, in your situation, you shouldn't use hydrolysates or the leucine post-workout. Okay. With your other stuff. Um, it just sounds like you're getting a really good insulin response, and unfortunately, that's throwing you into hypoglycemia. Uh, so you take those out, if, and you can use whey isolate, but you want to add some sort of fats to the shake. Um uh, can be M MCT oil. You can use heavy whipping cream if you want. Uh, anything of, of that nature. And if you do that, uh, you're probably getting what I'm guessing maybe 40 total grams of protein in your post-workout. Yeah, correct. You'll, or I was actually. I stopped about a month ago. Yeah. So you'll need to add somewhere between 20, uh, 25 to 50% more protein if you add the fat. Okay. Uh, and, and that's just because the way it's going to absorb, some of it's going to get stored uh, in your splachnic bed, and then to get it back out, half of it gets wasted. It, it, it's not a big deal metabolically, but, you know, if your goal is your muscle mass and strength, you just want to make sure you're always getting enough protein to the muscles when they need it. Correct. Um, and then a third option that would require some experimentation across the day because it you could add say a really ripe banana or two to your post-workout so as soon as you get done at the gym you've got some bananas there you eat those and then you have your shake later like after either immediately after the bananas or maybe when you get home whatever uh okay and, and the experimentation there is to, you're just going to have to figure out what your carbs look like either the rest of the day. I don't know if you're on carb backloading or carb night. Um, I, can, I can tell you exactly what I do. Normally I do – so I exercise Sunday through Thursday. So it's five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I do – on the days that I have uh, training the next morning, uh, those days I do – um, 150 grams of protein through the day, 90 grams of fat, and then I do 150 grams of carbs at night. So the night before the workout. Okay. Um, and just for uh, context, I am about 158 pounds and 5'9", 35-year-old. Okay. Um, and then on the days that I'm not going to train the next morning, I do 150 grams of fat. 150 grams of protein and then 30 grams of carbs okay the the only thing is that because i i just couldn't stomach the post workouts mm -hmm. all my all my meals are normally compacted in just two meals a day yeah it sounds like you're kind of you're eating a little bit late in the day because of that correct yeah yeah so i was just having my first meal at like 12 30 or one o'clock and then just dinner and that yeah. was it Okay, I don't know yeah. if I should change that. Um, that's, I, I think the best approach here is to try to attack your post-workout. 
Okay. And get get you back to where you can have your post workout shake. And actually, if you're so, let's say you you work out Sunday, so Saturday night, are you having your your carbs? Correct. Yes. Okay. Well, so that's even better. So instead of if you go with the option of adding uh, an oil to your post workout shake, or mm-hmm. or you can add peanut butter, something like that, some kind of nut butter. Okay. As well, then actually add that extra protein in the night before. Okay. Um, so instead of having the 150 grams for the total for the day, I should have some more. Yeah, have uh, so 150. I'd say add another 20 grams on that. Okay. It does it matter the source or like? No, you can that that protein. Yeah, free free for all. You can use whatever you want. The night before. I Great. tend to my general rule of thumb is other than post workout, I try to get the vast majority of protein from animal sources. And okay. that can be cottage cheese, that can be meat, things like that. But uh only after the workout do I go for the is it advisable to use the ones that are, you know, high absorption and so on and so forth? Okay. Okay. And the, and the the other the other side effect that I get from just not having anything until lunch is that right after lunch I start getting very sleepy mm-hmm. just because yeah. that's all I had for the day. Right. Yeah, the 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 place to start here is with that post workout shake. I think I I assume your goal is lean body mass, either keeping it or maybe increasing it some, and then also Correct. probably strength. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where we want to focus for that goal is your morning food. And right now your morning food is really predicated on that post-workout shake. Great. So, and, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, no. I was going to say as far as the, uh, as the other, the macros for the rest of the day, do they look okay or should I be doing something different? Uh, no, they they actually sound pretty good. They might need to be tweaked a little bit, but you know, where you are, you're, you're right in the right ranges. Um, and should I, when I add, so if I'm adding the, 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 the post-workout with, I'm assuming it's going to be about 40 grams of protein or a little bit more, should I take that out of the 150 that I have for the day or should I put that on top? You can... Right now, if I get this, if I'm correct, you're getting 150 grams without the post-workout shake, correct? Yeah, without. Yeah, so just add that on top. Okay, so it'll be 100, like 190 total. And what about for the fat? Do I do the same? I did on top? No. So for the fat or carbs, whichever of those routes you decide to go, you need to subtract those from the other totals. Okay. So, so, so protein added in the others account for it when you account for the other when you account for the rest of the day. Okay, you that. And uh, another question. So normally, what I do is like if I'm gonna have any alcohol, which is mostly Friday nights, um, I I I subtract it from the fats. Like if I'm gonna have, you know. 400 calories worth of alcohol, I just just take it out of the fats. Should I do something different or should I? Uh, awesome. Like everything else, it's one of those it depends questions. So first, what type of alcoholic drinks are you? I, I normally have like Jack and Diet. That's the only thing I drink. Oh. oh, well then, I mean, really, you don't need to do much of anything. So should I keep the the uh, the macros the same? No, I I was just wondering whether because if yeah, my... you just don't even need to account for the alcohol at all. If if that's your drink of choice, like mm-hmm. yeah, I mean you just don't even need to worry about it. Yeah, that's my 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 worry was okay. If I'm adding 500 extra calories for the day, then you know I gotta compensate. Um, no, yeah, alcohol doesn't doesn't really work that way. I mean, most, most of it's metabolized in the liver. So it, it's not, it's not compensating for energy usage anywhere else in the body. Okay. And a lot of it doesn't even get metabolized in the liver. It gets pissed out. 
And in both of those scenarios, what you get is a hyper response of energy production. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get anything. It, it, it's not how to explain it. it. It's not like it could potentially be stored or slow down metabolism anywhere else. It just speeds it up some. So, okay. so it's so it's almost inconsequential unless. You know, if you're binge drinking every night, then it starts to become consequential because it it shifts metabolism. It does all kinds of things. But you know, your Friday night. Yeah, it's just uh, once a, once a week. At the most, it'll be some on Saturday, but but not not really. Yeah. yeah, no, I wouldn't even I wouldn't be concerned with it at all. And and what about so when um how how soon after I finish my dinner? Can I start having the jack? Does it matter? Uh, your dinner Friday night, if if I understood everything correctly, does not include carbs or includes a, a very small amount. Then, no, no carbs. Yeah, then whenever. Oh, it doesn't matter? Nope. Yeah, alcohol really only has significant and detrimental effects if it's being ingested with or near carbs. Okay. And then everything goes off the rails. So since you've structured your workouts and your eating to be integrated like they are, you know, when you have your, you know, Friday night, you have dinner, you can just whatever. Great. And then when I'm, when I, when I am doing the carbs, um, is there like a, like a time frame that I should keep it within or does it not matter? Uh, for CBL, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, so so I shouldn't worry about that. And what about because I I looked at what you uh, or I looked at actually what a lot of people send during the what they do during the the carb part of the day, and a lot of people are putting like yeah I have burgers and fries and and my question is what about the fat content of that should I not be worried or. Uh, it, so uh, I actually made that comment yesterday as well. Yeah. Um, it, and you have to take all of that into consideration. So you're not on the like way upper scale of muscularity. Correct. Uh, so when, when I was doing that, I had a lot of, I had more flexibility because I weighed like 230 pounds and I was 6% body fat. So, oh the extra fat and the extra carbs i i didn't have to worry about it 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 all just kind of came out in the wash so to speak because i i just had a lot of muscle tissue which meant a lot of energy that had mm-hmm. to be expended um if if you're not at that level yet then you you need to be more cognizant of you know fries super fatty so you kind of need to take that into account normally what i do is i just I go by the nutrition labels and I try for my fat not to go over like 40 grams for that carb meal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's okay or. Yeah, no, that that's fine. So your training, which is a huge necessary component of not only not getting into the de- disease state, but it can also repair the disease state, like resistance training, it's basically the only thing that can do that effectively. And so the, and in that last meal, when you're having your carbs and your fat, you're not getting the, you're not getting the huge long-term overlap of a competition between fuels in the mitochondria. Does that make sense? Okay. So even, even for health reasons, like you don't have to worry about how much fat is in that meal you just need to kind of keep it in check for the entire day okay so as long as as long as i stay within the the 90 grams that i set for the day then that shouldn't be a problem correct okay great uh there is a fourth option you can do with the hypoglycemia Mm -hmm. and this is the one i always opted for uh when it happened to me I made sure that I had nicotine gum on hand. So a four milligram piece of nicotine gum, if, and, and you can usually feel it, right? There's this sensation that something's coming on. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, when I would feel that, I would have the nicotine gum, and it would totally derail it. I wouldn't go into the full hypoglycemia. Uh, so you can try that one if you want. I, I'm just throwing it in. I, I forgot to mention as a fourth option, but I thought I would give you all okay. the potential options. So as soon as I start feeling that it's about to come, I start chewing the nicotine gum. Yeah. Yeah, that right. For the majority of people, so th this isn't this problem isn't unique to you actually, and um, a lot of people experience it. They just don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, for people I've worked with who have had it, it's usually more inter intermittent. Yours is fairly regular, but the nicotine gum has never failed to derail the hypoglycemia. So. You know, you're a little different situation because it's been so regular for a while. So you you probably are, actually are, are really insulin sensitive and you have good insulin response. Uh, so so you can experiment with that and see if it will derail it as well. So that's another option. Great. And I I have another question for the for my workouts. Um, so normally I do no cardio at all. And that's because during my, um, like before the pandemic, I was playing soccer twice a week. Um, mm, okay. it, it was like six, six B six soccer for an hour. So, and in here in Miami, it's like a hundred degrees outside. So I, I felt that that was enough cardio for me to do. Um, And and now obviously with the pandemic we're not doing soccer I'm but I'm playing paddle tennis for like an hour and a half so my question is should I do anything around the cardio in terms of nutrition or it doesn't matter uh, uh, I, I'm a little confused by how you phrased the last part of the question like is there should I be eating anything in particular like before or after the cardio or it doesn't matter oh oh i got it yeah no i i wouldn't worry about it okay and then um the the that's that shouldn't be an issue with my protocol right like if i go back to playing soccer twice a week um i mean there's a potential you'll be a little less conditioned right out of the gate you know, when you go back to playing. Yeah. But other than that, there, there's nothing, nothing you should have to be concerned about. Just be aware of that and don't be surprised by it. Uh, okay. And, and the, the caffeine that I, t that I take in the morning, is that okay? Should I increase it, decrease it? Um, are you, this is before the workout or after? Before, before, as soon as I wake uh, up. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with it right now. Let's try to focus on one variable at a time. I I really think most of the problem is the post-workout shake. Okay. So, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about your caffeine intake before the workout or, you know, any of the other things too much. I, I think it's that that post-workout shake is is pushing you into what like I said, it, the rebound hypoglycemia. Okay. And then I don't know if this is related to uh, this particular issue or not, but I I tend to get um, bloated very easily. Like I feel bloated after having my meals or anything. Do you think that's related or is that a, a separate issue? Um, probably a separate issue. Not not necessarily uncommon. It's It could be if you're having slow absorption, and I'm I'm going to guess it might be wrong in your case, but I'm going to guess since if you have no food before your noon meal, like on in that since you started doing that with no food, then you're having a slightly more of a bloating problem since dropping the pro post workout shake. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I don't look like if I look at myself in the mirror, it's just I, I'm normal. It's just that I start feeling like I'm super heavy, you know, like my. Yeah, you kind of feel pressure. Yeah. In your gut a little bit. It feels like you're bloated, even though it might not really look like you're bloated. Correct. Yeah. 
so what's going on there is your body's going a long time without food, and then you're giving it very significant nu- uh, nutrition. And so that that's kind of the problem with some of these intermittent intermittent fasting protocols and why why people lose weight because that bloating can be uncomfortable so they tend to start to eat less and it's usually just an enzymatic issue uh, so you can add some enzymes if you want uh, you can try that out to see if it helps but it's not really something to worry about but i i do completely understand the discomfort yeah that that comes along with it so you can try the enzymes um, you can, a few people have found that, uh, oh, you're in the state, so you can get it that triple fiber. It's like acacia, something else and something else. Um, okay. It's like the triple fiber enzymes. Uh, no, it, the, no, it's different. just, yeah, just the product is called like triple fiber. I think it comes in like this purple tub with a yellow lid. Okay. And that has worked relatively well for some people to to cut down on the bloating um but i i would try the enzymes first that's usually the most effective and then if that's not okay just just any regular digestive enzymes right yeah i mean you could just use generic stuff to start okay because enzymes they're not like probiotics i mean they don't go bad and it doesn't matter how many are in it that kind of thing so you know you can just use whatever whatever seems I, like a, a brand do i take them before the before the meal or it doesn't matter it before or with the meal okay before or with the meal and with um with the multivitamin is there any specific time that would be best to consume it because i normally just do it at night like before going to bed uh, yeah it's totally it multivitamin the vitamins don't really matter i i tend to split mine up so I'll take my I'll take a I'll take a multivitamin in the morning, and then at night with my night meal, I add in some extra vitamins and minerals. So I'll take extra vitamin C, extra zinc, extra magnesium. Uh, I think that's yeah. Those are those are the three that I add in to supplement later on. Okay, great. So so but but that's just. I, I I need the extra minerals, and so I try to split them up just to increase absorption in that situation. But if you're just taking a single multivitamin, yeah, you know, take it whenever you want. Okay, it shouldn't it shouldn't be a problem. No, nope, correct. Great. And then let me see if I have any other questions from this part that I have missing. Um. Okay, and then the there is no you said there's no time frame for the backload. I can just start like I can start whenever, as long as it's a night right before the workout, and then um, I don't have to keep it within like one hour or two hours or anything. No, yeah, don't. I I wouldn't concern myself with it for for a while. I don't I don't know why I got in the, on this kick, but. I, I just had this thing where I would only do my backloads at midnight. So so it was just kind of this thing, like every time midnight hit, I would load up on some carbs. Um, but it, it didn't make any difference from when I would have them with a meal at dinner and maybe some more later on uh, after that. it There was really no effect, except I got better sleep when I tried to pound a bunch of carbs at midnight. Okay. Yeah, I tend to get really sleepy after eating the carbs. So yeah. that's normally for me. It's like I eat the carbs and then I go to bed. Yeah. Okay. And it, so th- that was my last question. It, it it shouldn't matter at what time. Like after after I eat, I don't have to wait any specific time before I can go to bed, right? I just I just go right away. Yeah. No matter what what kind of food I'm eating. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, if you have a huge a huge carb binge, um, and you go to bed right away, you might have some. You could have one of two things happen. You could have some acid reflux issues, which is possible. And the other thing that's more possible is it could disrupt your sleep because it can make your body temperature rise inappropriately, which will disrupt your sleep cycle. 
I mean, that, mm-hmm. and, and so only in in that scenario do you need to be cognizant of when you're eating and then when you're going to go to sleep. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I, I mean, my meals are 150 grams of carbs, so they're not super huge. Yeah, and it, and they're and it's a mixed meal. Correct. So you're you're even less likely to get that rise in body temperature and things like that. So you know you're you're fine. And then uh, for the when I when I'm doing the carb meal, the the protein source that that does that matter? Uh, give me an example. Like sometimes I just want to have pizza, so what I'll do is I'll buy um, like a like a crust on the supermarket that's like enough for the 150 grams of carbs and then i'll buy some fat-free cheese and mix it with some regular cheese and just make a pizza that way Mm -hmm. but then i'm not having any like you know chicken or steak or anything that's like right so you have a protein shake yes no No? i'll just get my protein from the cheese oh i mean are you adding that much cheese to get a yeah, it's enough for for full pizza. So I'm probably adding like 40, 50 grams or 60 grams of protein from the cheese. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, that in a way that's somewhat advantageous because in cheeses, they have a higher casein content. So that's going to have a slower release through the night. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's totally fine. That shouldn't be a problem. Okay, nope. great. All right. And then... Um, uh, I have a, a different question. I'm changing the topic completely here. Okay. Um, so m- my family lives in Argentina, mm-hmm. and um, my sister just had um, her baby back in March. I was due to uh, visit her, and I just couldn't because of p- a pandemic broke out, and they started with the lockdowns. But now they're starting to reopen, and it looks like I may be able to travel to visit them in October. Um, my question is, so my parents are 65 years old. So my question is, how do I, is there any way I can make it safely in a way that I can still visit them and not put them in danger? Uh, that's a good question. So I, how is testing in the United States? Um, I mean, I, I can get tested for free if I want to, but it takes a few days for the results. It takes like two or three days. Yeah. So if you wanted to go for maximum insurance to to keep them safe, I would, if it were me, I would get a test and then isolate myself after getting the test mm-hmm. and plan it around the scheduled trip so that, you know, I'm avoiding contact with people as much as possible, whatever the test result is, you know, if it's positive, then obviously you need to avoid hanging out with them or wearing a mask. Like I said, wearing the mask protects everybody else. So that would be a huge, huge, huge benefit. Um, So my idea, my idea was to make it down to Argentina mm -hmm. and then, isolate myself for like four days and then get tested because I don't know if I, you know, maybe I caught it on the plane or in, or somewhere yeah. along the trip. So, but I don't know if four days is enough for me to get tested for the, you know, for the positive to show up or if I have to wait more. Well, I mean, if, if you catch it, like the day you land, the, the day after, if you got a test, you would probably show positive results. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So you don't have to to wait that long if, if you caught it on the plane. Okay. But yeah, cause, yeah. Yeah, and if you wanted to make sure, it it takes on average, you know, anywhere from five to seven days before you would develop symptoms. Uh, so it, to be super sure, that's how long you would have to try to stay away from them when you got there. Okay. Uh, it, it's Six just really hard. It's kind of like you know, the cold or the flu at this point. It's like, well, how do you avoid giving somebody the a cold? Well, it, it's really tough because you could go to the grocery store, catch it yeah. there right before you're you're going somewhere else. Or, you know, the next day, there's just so many minor contacts now that could transmit 
where you could be in a situation to catch it, not know it. Um, it, it it's just a, a really tough thing. So, you know, be diligent and be careful. That's, that's really the best thing you can do to try to make sure everybody's safe. And then if you're going to do the testing on top of it, I mean, that's just extra insurance to try to make sure they stay safe. Great. Great. Okay. Yeah. They have in Argentina, they have same day testing. So, Oh, excellent. I could just, I could just order one and they, they even come to your house. So I don't even have to expose myself going anywhere. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's great. And, and just get, so, okay. All right. So, and then is there any, uh, well, during the, tra the, the trip, there's nothing extra I could do for extra protection, right? Just go on the plane, wear a mask, wash my hands, and that's it? Yeah, that's unfortunately all you can do. That, that's probably your biggest risk factor is being on the plane. Um, I'm sure they're more available now, the N95 masks. Mm -hmm. And they seal up around your face much better, and their carbon filters are fine enough to even stop viral particles. Um, so if you wanted to wear one of those throughout the flight, that's probably the safest thing you can do other than wearing a full hazmat, shoot, hazmat suit on the flight. Um, yeah. That's, that's probably your, your best option is to, to wear that for the duration of the flight. And and what about what about getting an antibody test to see if I've already had it? Would that help at all? Uh, I, I haven't looked at the research. I mean, the research on the antibody uh, potential antibody immunity and exposure is changing pretty rapidly. And it's and one thing that's showing up is it depends on the immune response that you had. Uh, so if if you had it. That means you probably didn't have any symptoms, right? Because you don't have a sense of having been that sick, correct? Well, no, I can think of one scenario back in March when all this started where my my business partner, he got back from Spain with a really bad um, um, flu. And, and then it was like one or two days where I felt like I had a fever and some chills. But... Um, I'm anosmic, so I don't have a sense of smell, so I can't really tell if I lost my sense of smell or not. Yeah. But but uh, but uh, that's the only situation where I feel like okay, maybe I I had it and I was like very asymptomatic or some, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So the the tough thing is the antibody test. It, it's as good as a coin toss in your situation. Yeah. Um, because they're finding people who had absolutely no symptoms are the ones who have the highest rate of being able to detect antibodies for the virus. So if you're in that middle group of kind of a mild to not hospitalized mm -hmm. group, then it's 50-50. You know, you the antibody test might show that you had it, but your immune response might not have been man mitigated through an antibody response and in that case you'll you'll show negative even though you did actually have it um and then if you're hospitalized the antibody test almost always shows that you didn't that you never had it correct so yes. if i get it if i get a negative it's like almost it looks like 100 percent sure that i never had it if you get a negative it's so here's what you could do if do you have a quarter yeah you can flip the quarter call heads or tails in the air and however however it lands is the chance that you have already had it <laughs> an okay. antibody test in your situation is exactly equivalent to tossing the coin okay okay makes sense yeah, yeah so so you can get it i mean if it comes back positive then positive results are somewhere around 70 to 80 percent accurate now so so you could get it, and if you get a positive, then you have pretty high confidence that you did have it. But a negative is identical to tossing the coin. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So that should okay. So the best thing I could do, I'm guessing, is just just uh, whatever we talk first, the antibody route. 
I don't think that's worth pursuing. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, there's just a, a huge complication which with how different people are responding to the virus. And, you know, those who don't have an antibody response, I mean, they, they can still get sick and they still could be immune, but mm-hmm. an antibody test is not going to show a positive for them. They have, I've, I've read some reports that say that they're trying to rush a vaccine for October. Do you think that they're, they're actually going to try to do that or is it impossible? Uh, it's, it's so unlikely. You know, we're still in a situation where to date for 70 years, despite billions of dollars being spent, they've never successfully created a vaccine for any coronavirus. Not the coronavirus that causes colds, not the coronavirus that causes SARS, not the coronavirus that causes MERS. They've never been able to create one. So I don't know why all of a sudden they're just like, oh, yeah, of course, we can get this done in nine months and we'll be ready. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of those news reports are essentially stock juicing. Yeah. Uh, that That's all they really are. I wouldn't put any stock in them until you actually see a vaccine the day they're like okay we have vaccines and they're shipping and you can go get one that's the first moment you can know that they actually had a successful vaccine and but but even if it's not going to be 100 accurate right it's going to like the flu vaccine um well i <laughs> i you know the the vaccines for things like coronaviruses and flu viruses and the like are are really complicated and even Ebola um those kind of viruses are really complicated because it's really not clear how effective they are if they're okay. effective at all um i mean if you even look at data for the flu in the united states i think it was in the 70s or 80s the inoculation rate where people would go get a flu shot was like five percent of the population and Mm -hmm. and now in the united states it's like 70 to 75 percent of the population it's massive yeah and absolutely no statistics have changed since 1970 to 2019. Okay, so it means that it's not doing... Well, I don't know what it's doing. I mean, maybe the flu virus has become more virulent, and it is actually maybe saving some lives. But if if you look at the data, it just doesn't seem that it does anything. And even in years when they totally missed the viral strand, so the, the flu that was circulating was not what they created a vaccine for, mm-hmm. I mean... They sold the vaccine anyway, and still, you know, 75% of the population got inoculated, and the numbers were lower than any other year when they did get the right virus. So, so yeah, I'm not, even if they get a coronavirus vaccine, I'm not 100% sure what that means for safety. Okay. Well, at least it'll calm people down. Yeah, I mean, it's worth... I would say it's probably worth getting. um, But I wouldn't have really much confidence in the effects. Okay. All right, sounds good. Yeah, I I would still be careful no matter what I did. Okay, all right, Kiefer. I think I pretty much covered everything. We've been going for like 45 minutes. Yeah, um, yeah, so you still got another 15 if you want to use them. Um, okay. Um, I think I have... Okay, we, yeah, we have like 10 more minutes according to Skype. So, okay, let's... What about my... Is there anything that you would recommend I do specifically in my workout protocol for for the for what I'm looking? Well, <laughs> uh, um... I mean, honestly, to answer that, I'd have to see pictures probably. I mean, because even if you're not 100% focused on, like, perfect aesthetics, um, if if some muscle balance is off, that will actually limit your ability to develop fully, period. Okay. Um, so, so to tell you – so to, to be pretty specific for you, I'd, I'd have to see some pictures for one. 
And I, I'd be happy if you want to send some to support, they'll get to me and I'll be happy to make comments and tell you if something's out of balance that you need to address. Okay. Um, as far as in general, I mean, it, it, it's really hard because really what you need to do is deplete glycogen stores uh, for whatever muscle you're training. And there's there's several ways you can do that. Of course, you don't want your reps to really ever go over 10. Once you do that, you start leading the muscle towards an oxidative state. And as it as you progress in doing that, then it actually can shorten the amount of time before it gets to the oxidative state. So it makes it harder and harder to deplete glycogen stores. That's why bodybuilders can have marathon workouts because they've done that so long. They've pushed that oxidative threshold down and so it takes them longer to get rid of all their glycogen store okay that makes Uh, sense yeah so so there's a lot of options there i mean if you're if you feel pretty exhausted at the end of the workout yeah you, you sweat pretty well during the workout then you're probably at least for sets and reps you've probably got that dialed in where they where it needs to be okay that makes sense and then so i i i thought of another question um when this is back um like three months ago or four months ago it um i started feeling that my right thumb was getting numb and and i thought it was due to excessive use of the computer given the pandemic everybody was stuck in their house and i was using the computer more than usual so but i went and got a consultation with a doctor the first doctor said you probably have carpal tunnel syndrome so just wear a brace when you go to sleep and and take a a muscle relaxant and see if it goes away and then i consulted with a chiropractor and the chiropractor he took some x-rays and he said i believe that the nerve you're not you don't have carpal tunnel syndrome you're just basically the curvature of your neck um is shifting forward so that's putting a little pressure on your c something which is where the nerve originates mm-hmm. and that's um what you're getting as a result is the 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 thumb feeling that it goes numb and um so he recommended i started doing some adjustments and that i don't needed the 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 wrist or anything because the test they do some tests to see if you have carpal tunnel and i don't i don't get anything from that so yeah so in general if your thumb or your ring finger and pinky finger mm -hmm. get numbing sensations that's happening at the spine if it's your index and middle finger and it, it always happens in those combinations it'll be the thumb by itself or it'll be the two small fingers, or it'll be the two larger fingers. If it's the two larger fingers, that's usually related to some sort of nerve problem that's being caused by muscle tissue or a joint being slightly out of place, usually the elbow joint. And and that's very often mistaken for carpal tunnel. Um, so you said it's your thumb, your chiropractor is probably yeah, been on. Now it, now it like kind of shifts between the thumb and then sometimes I get it in the index finger, but it just alternates. Um, at the beginning, so, it was just the, the thumb getting completely numb. I've, I've been doing the, the adjustments with the chiropractor for like about two months mm-hmm. and it's it's gotten better, but sometimes it just, it comes and goes. Yeah, well, so a pinched nerve, even when you release the pressure on the spine, the nerve is still compressed. And it can take a while to come back. And since you've, that numbness that you're feeling has also affected your mechanics in the gym, even if you didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And that can then cause subsequent nerve issues with your other fingers, uh, sometimes in the palm of the hand, although that's, that's, that's pretty rare. I have, I have seen it. Um, so that's probably what happened. You know, that that was compressed. It started causing issues way before you noticed any symptoms. Um, and then the compression got worse to where you started to feel it in your thumb. At that point, it started to cause even more issues 
with just your soft tissue and the nerve distribution and where they're sitting everywhere. And now that it's being released, you're having a remodulation of things which can open up paths some places, but then put pressure on paths in other places. So what you're describing sounds totally normal. What your chiropractor said it is the highest probability of being correct. Um, and uh, what you're doing is likely the best course to get past it. And another symptom that I noticed, and you mentioned about the elbow, is that when I'm doing, like, for example, hammer curls at mm -hmm. the gym, I could feel something clicking around my elbow on the on the outside part of my arm. Like, you know, like there's something that's going against, the, you know, either a bone or something that's that's moving inside. Yeah, and and that could easily be the nervous imbalance that's starting at your neck has made the muscles fire in a way that has possibly pushed your elbows slightly out of joint, um, which can often feel like a clicking. Sometimes it yeah. can feel like a grinding. Yeah, it feels like a clicking. Yeah, again, uh, that's that's normal for having a pinched nerve in the neck that's affecting one it's usually unilateral. It, it usually only affects one arm at a time unless it's like severe, severe damage there. So I, uh, the, the takeaway is it's really nothing to worry about since you're doing something about it. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah, that'll, it, it'll just take time. And, you know, I make fun of chiropractors because most of them are pretty terrible. Um, but if he's only doing manual adjustments, yeah, yeah, then, then you're, you're right on track for getting that taken care of. But you know, that, that is something you'll probably have to commit to for quite some time. Like you might not have to do them super frequently, yeah. but you know, once every other month or something, you may need to go in and just get that released. Um, well, we started, he, he got me started twice a week and then we moved to no he got me started three times a week mm -hmm. then we moved to two times a week now we're down to one time a week and uh eventually it just gets to once a month yeah 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 you're that that is the correct progression you you've you found a good chiropractor okay great great yeah yeah that's rare the uh, you know kudos great yeah because i i my my worry was that he only does manual adjustments and you know when you look at the at the youtubers chiropractors they're always using like cameras and machines and stuff and i was like i wonder if this chiropractor is doing it correctly or but okay <laughs> yeah that's what's funny like if if you find a chiropractor who's doing 99 percent of everything manually they're a really good chiropractor because all all those other tools and stuff like that they're all total bullshit okay great great yeah and, and the next tough because it's really hard to adjust it yourself or to teach somebody how to adjust it for you um i mean i so. crack it fairly often i just even by by moving my head a little bit i can feel the cracks yeah it, it's still not quite the same of getting that that release and i wish i could teach somebody to do or i knew a chiropractor here to do it i would i'm definitely due for one but yeah you know you're you're on the right track to get that taken care of again i, I wouldn't worry about it uh after i if you if you send some pictures if i see something in your musculature um you know i can i can tell you what exercises to fix that to either speed up getting better or to avoid the problem in the future. Okay. All right. Well. I'll, I'll try to get some pictures over to uh, support. All right. Sounds great. All right. So, okay. I think our time is up 59 minutes. Uh, you know, I, we rambled needlessly at the start. So if, if you have anything else, go for it. Uh, that's great. I think we caught, we covered pretty much everything. I try to, write everything down before I talk to make sure that I didn't miss anything. <laughs> and, and I think we, we covered pretty much everything. Oh, well, that's great. Um, hopefully it was helpful and, and worth the time and 
Yeah, super productive. Yeah. I'll get. I'll definitely if it, if it can help me with the with the morning feeling uh, like crap, then it's well worth it. Yeah, if that doesn't work, you know, if you test out the various scenarios and none of them work for you, uh, send a question into support, and I'll. I'll try to assess what other possibilities it could be, but I mean, great. What you described is like textbook rebound hypoglycemia, so it, it should be pretty easy to take care of. Amazing. All right, great. Well, thanks a lot, Kiefer. Thanks for everything. Yeah, of course, and uh, good luck on your trip to Argentina and being able to keep everybody safe. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right. All right. Bye.